So last week, if you were with us, I uh, I kind of threw my parents under the bus as I told the story of how they mistakenly uh, left my brother and I at camp one 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 year, one day longer than uh, what they expected, and one day longer certainly than anybody at the camp expected. But today, this week, I want to throw myself under a bus. Many of you know I graduated from Ohio State, and uh, prior to me graduating from Ohio State, uh, Robert had a problem choosing a major. Um, in the spring of my third year at OSU, I was called into the made the college office, the university college, and told, "Hey, uh, you know, we're not in the business of just having you wander through life taking Gen Eds for the next fifteen years." Uh, you need to pick a major because I had no desire to. I was having a perfectly good time at college, enjoying what I was doing. But uh, so the my advisor said, hey, you have to pick one by the end of spring semester uh, or spring quarter in that case. But you had to pick one and in, and you need to move into it in the fall if you can. And so what I did was I said, okay, let me see uh, what majors I can't, number one, that have room uh, still, possibilities of engaging in them. Number two, uh, have meet my requirements in the gen eds that I have taken so it minimizes how many more I have to take. Uh, And number three, and what was most important to me probably, was the ones that have high income and hiring potential, right? Which ones were going to get me a decent paying job out of college? And so I picked a major based on those criteria. I picked it based on my ability to get in when I needed to get in without taking more classes and get a good job when I got out. And when I went home to my parents and I said, hey, I picked a major. As I recall, I picked it that day. (laughs) But uh, when I picked the major, I went home and I told my parents what my major was, what I was going to graduate with. And my mom said, that's a bad idea. She said very clearly and very simply, that is a bad idea. I know you, and uh, you are going to hate that job. You're going to strongly dislike that job. It's not going to be any fun for you. You're not going to enjoy it. Why would you choose to do it? And I promptly told my parents, I got it under control. I'm going to be fine with it for all of these reasons, right? I don't have to take any more gen eds. Great job. Well, and so I, I did it. I jumped into that major. I graduated with that major. Uh, took about two more years because I was clearly on the five-year plan. But I graduated and moved to Michigan. Now, that should have been sign number two that that's a problem if I'm actually living in Michigan. But I moved to Michigan for a job. And then I was laid off from that job three months later. <laughs> and when I came back to Columbus... Uh, I found another position, again, in that field uh, that lasted about about 14 months. And by the end of that 14 months, I had decided that I really didn't like this area of business. I really didn't like this major at all, or this degree, or this field. And, you know, though God redeemed that journey... I really do wish I had listened to my mom, uh, but don't, please don't tell her I said that. You know, that's a, 
cycle I'm seeing repeating with my kids, uh, this idea of not, not listening to my parents and the advice of, of my parents. I see my kids do the same things. Uh, and I think any of us who are a parent has, has seen our kids do that. Heather has, my wife has a theory she calls the satellite theory. And it's the idea that kids are like satellites orbiting the earth and the earth being the parents. And there's a season where the kids are in direct communication with the parents because the satellite is on the side of the planet that will allow for that communication. But there's also a season where the satellite travels behind the planet and that communication is, for all intents and purposes, shut off or at the very least staticky, a little inconsistent. And you really have very little influence on your kids at at that point in time. Sometimes I think that cycle uh, is never ending or, or horribly repetitive, right? And if, but if most of us were honest with ourselves, we would say that we have a similar kind of orbit in our relationship with God, where there are seasons in our life where we can see and feel and we are connected to him as the people of God. And then there are seasons where he seems silent, right? Or he seems like we cannot connect with him. Sometimes those seasons when we are out of touch with him if we are that satellite that is revolving around God, you know, if we are in a, a lower orbit, we seem to come back around faster. If we're closer to him to begin with, we come back around quicker. If we're in a higher orbit, it takes longer to get there. And, and if we get far enough away from him, we kind of pull free from him, free from his draw to him and kind of drift off into space. It's a repeating cycle for the people of God. The Old Testament tells us uh, repeatedly how the, the people of God found him and essentially walked away from him or lost him or lost sight of his purpose and meaning in their lives and his guidance in their lives. They would run off and end up uh, worshiping another God or being so full of themselves that they forgot from where they came. Second Chronicles 30, 7 and 8 says it this way. It's, it, it's a warning. It says, don't be like your ancestors and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he may, so that he made them an object of horror as you yourselves see. Don't become obstinate or stiff-necked now like your ancestors did. Give your allegiance to the Lord and come to his sanctuary that he has consecrated forever. So we see this this cycle, right? This repetitive cycle of orbiting or orbiting God at times when you have communication, you lose communication, in, both individually and as a whole people. In Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, we see it again where Stephen is telling his captors, he, reprimanding them for that history, that history of God's people not listening. He says in this in Acts 7, 51, he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Lord as your ancestors did. You do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? By the way, that would be a very small list. They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. 
it's a, a common problem humanity has, this idea where we are successful in being connected to the Lord for a season, and then we, we fade away. Sometimes that occurs individually, multiple times in our lives, and sometimes that occurs with generations or nations of people. The problem with that, ignoring that, ignoring God's call and not being connected to him and not hearing when he's calling, um, has consequences. The people of Israel found that out. And, and the truth is, I think we're finding that out right now in our country. We are faced with uh, racism and riots and uh, the ongoing crisis of abortion. The fact is that, that our separation from God's call on all of our lives is making it its, its consequences known to us and felt to us as we see just an overall devaluing of human life. But today's discussion is is less about everyone, right? This this notion that we are all migrating away from God at given times in our lives or seasons and as a nation, I would argue we're doing the same, but more about each one. Each one of us and the struggle that we have in staying in that orbit of God, where we are connected and communicating with him and where, honestly, we don't ignore his voice. Because that, I think that's a big portion of both the, your children going around the backside of the planet, right, from the parents, is they choose to ignore your advice. They feel they've reached a place in their life where they can do that. And the truth is, I think we do the same thing with God. Uh, our series that we're in right now is called The Quiet Game. It's seeking God's presence when he seems silent. And we're, and we're using the book of Psalms to kind of walk through that. Now, we talked about, the first week we talked about a faithful past. If God is silent, reminding yourself of when he's been here and how he's been present. And then we talked last week about abandonment. The notion that there's something powerful about having a God that knows what it's like to be abandoned and has committed to not abandon those who follow him. This week, I think, is a harder question, though, because it's personal. It's a harder question for each of us. Um, is God quiet in this season? Is he silent in this season of my life because I'm simply ignoring his voice? See, Christ followers even have some pretty incredible ways of ignoring God's voice. Uh, Brant Hansen, he's an announcer, used to be on, uh, I believe, K-Love Radio, and now he, now he does a, an internet show and a podcast and things of that nature. I did a podcast not too long ago uh, where he talked about three very impressive-sounding ways of ignoring God. That's ways that the people of God ignore his call, ignore the connection they're, they're called to have with him uh, in ways that... It may seem innocuous or may seem good when you're first when you first consider them but if, if they become if they become a crutch or they become a barrier or they become an excuse for not pursuing a direct connection to God they're problematic the first one is this one it says you know people keep one of these impressive ways is we keep super busy doing good stuff Right, super busy doing good stuff. Maybe we're we're taking a stand on Facebook or or at or at the coffee shop for the the Black Lives Matter movement. 
right? Or, or maybe we're um, picketing an abortion clinic to use two things we talked about earlier. Um, maybe we're, we're spending a lot of time volunteering at, at various places. Uh, maybe we're helping out in our case with Gretna. Maybe we're helping out at Daily Bread or we're helping out at Union Station or we're helping out somewhere else in some way with Gifts of Grace, a ministry that we are so blessed to have be part of, of flowing out of Gretna. But, you know, that's tricky business. That's tricky business trying to substitute a direct personal pursuit and connection with God, trying to substitute it with acts of good work. And, and uh, if we look at Luke chapter 15, we see, I think, see this come to life. We see the story of the prodigal son, right? Where this, this, the younger of two sons demands his uh, inheritance from his father. And he takes that money and he disappears, goes off on his own, lives his own life, figures out that didn't work out, ends up broke, comes back, and has a party. His dad throws a party for him because he's excited to see him home. And, and clearly God is the, the father figure here in this story. And but, but the one that gets left out is the son, the older brother that never left, that stayed there and did all of the things that his father asked him to do, right? He tended the flocks, he took care of the house, he paid the bills, whatever it is he needed to do, he did all of those good things, right? But when his brother came home, he couldn't understand the truth is he'd been so busy finding his value and doing those good things or his his faith or, or his perceived connection to God and doing those good things that he missed the point. He missed the point of salvation and he missed the point of the relationship. Maybe another one of, of Brett Hansen's ideas is you identify as a seeker, right? You're seeking uh, a new understanding of who God is. You're seeking God's place in your life. And you know what? That's That's part of all of our journeys, right? It's okay to be seeking. For those of us, you who might be listening and have not yet come to know God, I hope you're seeking. I think we were made to be in the presence of God. And honestly, there's a gap when we're not. And so we do find ourselves seeking and pursuing. But if we're always seeking and asserting that we've never found or we're never finding, honestly, that's, that's, an avoidance of commitment. It lets us feel spiritual without actually training our ears to hear His Spirit, to hear Holy Spirit alone, to hear God's voice. And we're avoiding it. We're avoiding making that direct connection. The third one in His ways of ignoring God's voice sometimes is by taking a stand that we are going to grow our personal faith life. We're going to go alone. It's all about me and God. And that's really the absolute opposite of what it means to be the church. Uh, The church was created by Jesus Christ, planted by Jesus Christ, formed by Jesus Christ to carry out the mission of God and, truth be known, to carry out the mission of God together. We need each other. I've talked about this plenty of times. We need each other to, to challenge one another, to help one another grow, to help one another see and pursue God and you know, it helps by by saying, inserting, we're going to go it alone. We ignore the voice of God, truthfully, as it comes through others. It comes through others who are also 
endowed with Holy Spirit. But I'd like to add a fourth one to this list. Um, and I'm going to call it, for the sake of today, we're going to call it the minimum daily requirements approach. That's uh, the, the Pharisee's approach. Uh, Jesus really lit them up, <laughs> for lack of a better term, lit them up on multiple occasions for doing all the things they needed to do, checking all the boxes, saying all the right things, doing all the right things, but really not allowing the Spirit of God to influence their souls. They reduced their faith to a series of minimum daily requirements. If I'm making X number of prayers and X number of sacrifices and I'm giving X tithe, then almost leveraging the idea that God has to have a, a relationship with me or validating themselves and saying, I must have a relationship with God because I'm doing these things. It's a minimum approach, right? And that's dangerous stuff. It keeps God in a box and it reduces his influence to the bare minimum in our lives. We're not asking him to, to be a part of every piece of who we are and help form us and grow us. We're saying, as long as I'm doing these things, I'm meeting those minimum requirements for being a follower of Christ. Uh, that's not who Christ has called us to be. So the bigger question that I hope to answer today is why? Why do we ignore God's voice? And at least one reason that, that I, I want to address today is this. Maintaining that higher orbit right, where we're not quite so close to God or even drifting into space and not being connected to him is honestly seems easier than facing our own brokenness and our own sinfulness head on. It seems easier for our ego. It keeps it intact to not admit that we need God. It seems easier to keep doing the things that we've like to do and and not feel obligated to change or to to try to pursue him and the call that he's placing on our lives that may very, be very well be different than what we currently do and the truth is in our minds it also makes sin sin seem less concerning it's easier there's less confrontation there's less change there's less pressure and anxiety sometimes in in the moment it seems easier to go on doing what we want to do keep a sure and safe distance from god lest he pull us in and honestly change who we currently are but at the end of the day is it really easier is it really easier And I I hope you know the answer is going to be no, it's not. But we're going to let the words of the psalmist help us understand why it's a no. Let's go to Psalm 32, Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible today. Start in verse 1. It says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person from whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is and in whose spirit is no deceit. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Verse three, it says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. 
That word brittle there used in verse 3, in the Hebrew it means worn out, wasted away, used up completely. And isn't it interesting when we, when we don't connect with God, when we ignore his, his guidance and we ignore his counsel, how quickly we can feel like our, our souls are brittle and they are worn out. When we stay in our brokenness and we stay in our sinfulness and we try to defend not moving forward out of those things, how quickly, completely, we wear out. We get depressed. We get angry and, and it begins to come out at other people. We get frustrated with the direction our life is taking and we, we get frustrated with the, the people we're connected to and maybe it's the relationships we have with our families or friends or our children and it all goes south quickly. And, and the reason is this, and Ravi Zacharias says it so well. He says, sin will take you farther away than you want to go it will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. And yet we choose. We choose to hold our sins close, right? To remain silent about them with God, to not even admit them to the Lord, let alone anybody else, because there's something about it. If we keep it silent, maybe it's not there. You know, those sins of envy and selfishness and pride and the love of money and lust, we... We act as though if we hide them from God, that they don't count as much, that they're not going to impact us as much, and that maybe maybe they're not real or not really a problem. You know, when I was 13, um, uh, 13 or 14? 14, 14. When I was 14, I went on my first date with a young lady named Jody. Super sweet. And I was 14, so I didn't have a driver's license, obviously. So me and a friend of mine, we double dated, and we took a bus. <laughs> we took a bus. We, went, we took the bus to her house and the other girl's house, and we picked up both the girls and got them back on the bus because, you know, that was epic. And, and we took them to uh, Graceland uh, Plaza, which had a movie theater. We're walking across the parking lot from where the bus dropped us off to the movie theater and I've got my arm around her and her around me and and my friend and and the girl that the other girl that was dating with came with him had was doing the same we had our arms around each other and you know I'm giddy because that's the first time I've had my arm around a girl and all of a sudden from behind me like six inches behind me a car horn just loud car horn and I drop my arms and I whip around and it's my mom and my mom is laughing hysterically at me and cackling as she's driving away. She just happened to be there. You know, I always had this idea that my mom knew from that moment on in high school, I was always looking over my shoulder thinking my mom knows what I'm doing, right? I cannot hide it from her. I know she knows what I'm doing. And the truth is, as a parent, you know, that's, that's not always the case, right? You don't always know. You just know your kids well, and you're able to adapt to them. And you're able to, in a lot of ways, predict what they're going to do because you know them. You know their history. You know who they are. But God, God is legitimately aware of everything we do. Everything we do. He knows what we think before we think it. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. 
He knows the choices we're going to make and how we're going to act before we make those choices and act, act out the consequences or the act them out. You would think, you would think we would learn. You would think we would learn that, th that there is no hiding the darkness of our souls. And make no mistake, Jesus says the, the evil of a man comes from within, right? We, we all have that darkness and we all have sins we struggle with and we all have those difficulties. There's no true hiding it. The only person we're hiding it from is ourselves. We're trying to minimize its value or its impact regardless of what that sin is. But God offers us so much more than, than the weight that comes, that has to be bared with that sin. He offers us not, if we bring it out, if we just are willing to admit to ourselves before him and to bring it to him, something incredible happens. Let's look at verse five. It says of our text today, it says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I think one of the big mistakes we make as followers of Christ is we kind of humanize God. We assume that his motivations and his feelings and his capacities and his decisions or the process by which he makes decisions are similar to ours, only a little better, right? A little more pure, a little more holy, but we assume that if um, I'm angry about something, that God is probably going to be angry about it too. And we may not say that out loud, but we act like it sometimes. But the problem is that God is not a perfected version of humanity, right? He's not us only better. The problem is that humanity is a fallen version of him. And so it's really, really hard for us to see that gap, to truly identify, at least of our own volition or our own information, to identify just how far away we are from the holiness of God in what we think and what we feel and how we act. I think forgiveness and the sin of unforgiveness is one of those things where we really, really struggle with that. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? The, the servant comes to the king, and the king says, you know, I'm going to tax you. I'm going to tax you, and I'm going to take in you and your wife and your children in order to pay off that as essentially as servants, indentured servants, to pay off this debt. And he begs, the servant begs with him. He begs with the master, which in this case is God. The master is God. He begs with the master and says, no, 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 please do that. Give me a moment. Give me some time. I can pay off the debt. And, and the master says, okay, no problem. And then the servant goes out and treats a servant of his or someone who owes him money without the same level of compassion and forgiveness and understanding that the master has just shown him. Jesus challenges his disciples when they come to him and say, you know, well, what, how many times should we forgive somebody, right? How many times should we forgive somebody for owing us something or doing something to us or, 
when especially a brother and a sister, right, in Christ, how many times should we forgive them? Should we forgive them seven times, right? How many times are you going to let them do this? And Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 22, he says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. You know, he, he looks at the disciples and says, whatever it is you think you need to forgive them and you think is an extreme level of forgiveness, you need to multiply it by 10. Because that, that number of seven, that's, that's perfection comes with that number seven in, in, in the Bible. Right, the notion that God made the earth in seven days. That's He created and built all of of what we see and feel and know and created his temple in which he wanted to reside. He created it, fulfilled it. When it says he rested, it means his work is done. And and so the Hebrew would have heard it that way. They would have heard, okay, you're asking me to do this in a godly way. You're asking me to be as godly as I can with my level of forgiveness. And Jesus says, okay, what you're not understanding here is whatever you think your godly level of forgiveness is, you're about one-tenth of where you need to be. There's something so powerful about acknowledging our difficulties, acknowledging our sins before God, confessing them, right? In in verse five, it just said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That allows the Lord to forgive us in a way that we can't even begin to fathom the depth and the scope of. And it says, and you forgave my guilt. And when God says forgave, not seven times, not our perfect idea of forgiveness, but 10 times that much. He forgives completely when we confess to him. It is us who generally have the problem forgiving at such a level. So this, this idea of confessing or or laying out of our sins before God, expressing them to him, not trying to hide them, not trying to keep them silent. It changes the very nature of our relationship with God and with sin, right? Let's, let's pick up our, our text again. Let's read verses six and seven. It says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. It doesn't say after you've thought about it for a while, right? And remember, this is in the context of sin and forgiveness, right? It says, when great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from the trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Do you hear that? Do you hear how that confession and that openness with God and that willingness to admit our own faults and our own difficulties and our own misunderstandings opens the door Right, This idea that we, if we immediately are letting the Lord know, we're not trying to, to keep it to ourselves or fix it ourselves because we're good at that too, and we're laying it at his feet, it, it allows pride's hold because pride has a hold on us, man. That ego that we want to protect and, and maintain, pride's hold on us 
is broken. It's broken because we are not so pretentious as to believe we have to hide things from God. I was speaking to somebody earlier this week about just the the nature of, of our relationship with God. And if you read through the Psalms in any level of, of completion or complexity, if you continue to, if you just read through them, the Psalms bear out the heart of a man. And there are times when, when they are expressing anger at God and fear of God and joy in God and all the range of emotions that we all often and always feel. And God has allowed that text and, and I believe, chosen that text to be in our Bible, in our Holy Scriptures. And that has to be for a reason. God can handle anything we throw at him. It is, it is pride that keeps us from being willing to do that, to approach him with confidence, to know that he has got our back and to know that he is there, that he will listen, that he will forgive, and that he will heal. And as it says, that he will surround us with joyful shouts of deliverance. He also gives us shelter in verse seven. It says, you are my hiding place. You are the the place where I hide from sin's influence. Sin's influence, that influences of, of lust or dishonesty or selfishness or envy. The presence of God, if you're struggling with any of those things, it's the presence of God himself that will protect you from those things. You can't do it yourself. It's one of the key things about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It means admitting openly and honestly that we cannot solve all of our own problems ourselves. We are constantly seeking solutions on our own that only God can provide. I think what we're dealing with in race riots around the country is one such activity, is one such thing where we really think we can legislate, that we can legislate the value of human life, that we can legislate having courtesy, honesty, and respect for one another, that we can legislate love. And the fact is, you can't. You can set base guidelines and say, okay, if you get outside these guidelines, if you get off the rails, this is going to cost you something. But these are the base guidelines. But if you want somebody to travel the path of love, that is going to come from the Lord himself. If we want people of different ethnicities, and I want to be really clear about this, uh, there's only one race. It's the human race. And so when we talk about different races, I just want to say, use a different word because it's not true. There's only one of us. And why change the word we use if we've always used that word? Because it's burned into our heads and it sends a message that we do not need to be repeating to ourselves. We are all one. But our ability to see each other, regardless of our differences, as creations of God comes not from our own volition, not from our own efforts as much as it comes 
from the Lord himself. It has to come from him. It has to come with admitting our challenges and our difficulties. I have a a really good friend of mine. His name is Lawrence Rogers. He's a a preacher out in Baltimore and he, he happens to be black. And, and we were talking once about the difference between racism and something he calls race aware. And race aware is a higher level of understanding because race aware calls us to ask ourselves and be honest with ourselves about our prejudices, about our misunderstandings, about our illogical hatreds and difficulties, and to recognize that those fears do not come from God. They come from within. And I got to tell you, the only way to separate ourselves from those is by finding shelter in the presence of Holy Spirit, finding our shelter in the presence of God himself, because only he can deliver us from it. But there's more here. There's more in this text because God actually speaks in this psalm and it's a rarity. Usually it's, it's the psalmist speaking, but God speaks at the, at the end of the psalm. It says this in verse eight, it says, I will instruct you and I will show you the way to go with my eye on you. I will give counsel. And then, then God gives a warning. He says, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with a bit and a bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There's that repeating cycle again of stiff-necked people. In verse 9, do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they won't come near you. The bit and the bridle are there because the horse or the mule has a will of its own that does not match where the rider wants it to go. And at the end of the day, I think that's our problem. Our problem is often that we, we have an idea of where we want to go and what we want to be able to do. And we filter God through that. We filter his call through that. And we humanize God because it suits us, because it's convenient for us. But the psalmist makes it really clear here Many pains will come to the wicked. That, that obstinance, that lack of desire to, to give our will up to the Lord continuously, repetitively, cyclically, both personally and across generations causes us more trouble and pain than we could ever imagine. But if we're willing to trust that he is faithful, that he is there, that by unloading our sins and allowing him to help us carry them 
and him to help us heal from them and him to hide us and keep us safe from our, even from ourselves sometimes. There is a joy and a deliverance that we cannot possibly, possibly even begin to understand because however great our understanding of joy and deliverance is, God's is 10 times better. And so my hope today, my encouragement today is number one, we need to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror. We need to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and be honest with ourselves about what our difficulties are, what our brokenness is, what our sins are, and what those distractions are that keep us from coming to know God. We have to recognize that when we are separated from him, we are not who we are meant to be. And we're not capable of getting there ourselves. And we have to stop being silent. We have to be willing to raise our hands to the Lord and say, yes, I am broken. Yes, I need your help. I cannot do it alone. And yes, I want to know that joy. And if we confess to him, if we confess, I acknowledge as verse five said, and then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He can forgive you. He can forgive me. He can heal us all, but we have to let him. We have to let him. Thanks for joining us today. I hope to catch up with you again next week. If you need anything in the interim, by all means, uh, reach out. Let us know. You can email me at rob at gretna.life. I'd be happy to talk to you about who my Savior is. I'd be happy to talk to you about how he can release you um, and how he can bring healing to each of us and all of us especially when things seem so difficult.